Benintendi coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing and a miss, strike it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. For baseball fans across Red Sox Nation, MLB fans from around the league, and the Yankees fans who can't get enough of hating us, welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering the Boston Red Sox. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and literally every single platform imaginable. We are also downloaded in over 30 countries across the planet, according to PodTrack.com. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the New York Yankees, dropping all three games. They are now currently 3-2 and two on the season. News out of Fenway. Eduardo Rodriguez on uh, Saturday it was announced that he would miss the remainder of the 2020 season due to myocarditis, which is a heart condition. Rodriguez is expected to still make a full recovery. News from around the league uh, for the second day in a row. Uh, no new Miami Marlins or Philadelphia Phillies players have tested positive for COVID-19. The Cardinals, however, are reeling for from basically a sizable outbreak. Up to 10 players and staff are said to be positive, uh, you know, amongst their organization. No word on when they will resume play. Mets DH, Yoannis Cespedes, opted not to show up to today's game against the Braves, followed by opting not to bother informing the Mets that he had opted out for the 2020 season which uh, was announced towards the end of the game. Brewer center fielder Lorenzo Cain also opted out of the remainder of the 2020 season on Saturday with the Brewers. And Roberto Ozuna, Astros closer, is on the DL 10 days with tightness in his uh, throwing elbow. So... That's the news from around the league. Once again, I am Terry Cushman. Coming to you from Lewiston, Maine, and I am joined tonight by Jason Kelly from Westwood, Massachusetts. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I I think my ears have stopped ringing after Matt Vasquez and blew them out a couple of times tonight. So, yeah, I'm doing good. You could tell they're not in their normal, uh, you know, boost because the, the audio quality was not good, as you were pointing out. Oh, it's wretched. Absolutely. And I'll also say, I tweeted this, but the uh, the pumped-in noise, not as good as Fox, which was superb, you know, on the midweek game they had last week as well as yesterday. So ESPN has a little bit of work to do. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you tweeted there. Fox did a much better job with the pumped-in noise. Sounded a lot more realistic. 
Also joining us tonight from Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? <laughs> Can I just say that? I mean, I hate to say that I've called this season so far, but it's just been, you know, outside of baseball, it's it's as good as you can possibly make it. But I uh, just got done watching Aaron Judge just hit a moonshot that will probably land back on, uh, probably land back in New York sometime on Tuesday. It was an absolute shot. So, yeah, I mean, brutal, brutal. Yeah. Yeah, he hit two of them. We had a guy hit two of them. We'll talk about him later. But just one of those games where, you know, the Red Sox just couldn't quite get that buffer they needed uh, to avoid judge like that. And uh, Red Sox got swept. So with that, we will transition into studs and duds, formerly known as heroes and zeros so even though we got swept you know there are some stud worthy names to be mentioned so jason go ahead and lead us off with your stud for the series sure uh my stud for the series is rafael devers um now offensively over the stretch of the three games he wasn't overly impressive um he had no hits friday night he only had a hit Saturday night, and once again, my big bugaboo, he left four guys on base Saturday night. Um, But tonight's game, he looked a lot more like the Rafael Devers that we knew from last year. Um, Hit a monster home run there late in the game, which we really needed at the time. But also defensively, just looks really sharp. He looks much more at ease at third base defensively than he did even like in the first couple of games. Um and Devers is not going to win really any gold gloves, I don't think. I don't think he's that polished of a defender, at least not at this stage in his career. But, you know, he kept the Red Sox in it with his defense earlier tonight. Some of those some of those sharp ground balls that he was able to get to, I mean, those could have, you know, if that was Peraza over there, who we'll get to later, like I feel like they would have gotten through and just would have given the Yankees even more base runners. So as much as... Devers with the home run tonight and the RBI single as much as that was good it was really his defense that I was impressed with because he just looks much more focused now than he did a week ago and I think that's that's what the Red Sox are going to need they're going to need Devers and Bogarts and guys like that to be engaged because obviously it's it's going to be a tough road to hoe this year a couple of those defensive plays tonight were like diving stabs and he's he's a well, actually, he does have to throw righty, but still, I mean, there are moves that you don't expect him to necessarily make, and then not only that, but, you know, get up and fire the missile across the diamond, you know, without airmailing it like he used to, so that's definitely nice to see, and and he ha- I it's tough to tell without fans, but that ball into right field, I know it's a short porch, but that went way up there. That was, wasn't it like 468 feet, something like that? Just yeah, that absolutely that, that was crushed. A, yeah. That, that would have been out in a lot of ballparks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Charlie thoughts on Devers. Uh, it was really, I mean, the pitch that he hit uh, in the seventh inning is what it's what gave the, the Sox the lead. Um, defensively, he's doing, uh, he's had three errors this year and he's not even the worst defender on the team, which is just mind blowing. 
You know, we, we saw Peraza create his, you know, make his fourth error, and I get he's a second baseman and whatnot, but it's nice to see um, Devers actually finally get the power stroke back in. Yes, it was a changeup. Yes, it's Yankee Stadium and it's right field. I don't care. It was really nice to see, and for a couple moments, we were winning, so I'll take it. Absolutely. Uh, and then go ahead, Charlie. Who was your stud for the series? You know, it was uh, it was kind of hard um, with so many players that were doing so great. This no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I went with Chris Mazza, the reliever, who uh, in game two came out and did very well. Uh, two and two thirds innings, a lot of hit, walked a couple batters, struck out three, did it in 48 pitches. Uh, this is a guy that uh, is playing for his second team in two years. Last year was with the Mets. Had a really brutal ERA of over 5.5 and uh, was not averaging a strikeout in inning. I was curious why they got him because he was, you know, averaging almost a run in inning. Uh, but he's, you know, 30 years old, trying to do what he's doing um, and made his debut for the Red Sox and, you know, did well on Saturday night. So uh, props to him, almost three innings of work and only, you know, he got out of it, so in in a year full of sadness, this is a this is a nice little bright spot. And unlike some other guys we have that we pulled off the scrap heap, he can touch mid nineties with his fastball. I saw it as high as ninety four on the gun, so a little bit of velo yep. in there. And I'm just kind of wondering if maybe he could be a potential starter. You know, and by starter, I mean four to five innings. <laughs> uh, so, right. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he's utilized, you know, in the in the coming games. Uh, Jason, what were your thoughts on him? Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I was not expecting anything out of Chris Mazza. I thought that he was going to go the way of, you know, Matt Hall and Jeffrey Springs and Zach Godley. He was just going to be another body that we picked up that, you know, maybe for an inning would look good and then hitters would figure him out. Um, now look, it was one appearance, so, you know, let's see, let's see how he, how it goes the rest of the year. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who's bounced around a lot. He's been a good minor league pitcher, but every time he gets called, it's sort of the Matt Hall thing. It's like every time he gets called up, he struggles. So maybe he's finally figured something out. Maybe he feels comfortable here. And, um, at this point, you know what it's, let's just hope for the best. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for the guy and, because we need we need someone who can hold this thing together. So, you know what? If he pitches like that the rest of the way, I'll take it. Yeah, I've got his uh, fan graph numbers up here, and uh, it is only his second year in the league. Um, 2019, he's never pitched more than four innings, and that was his first ever appearance, and then he was only used for uh, one or two innings. There's actually one in there for two and a third, but... So he's never really been a starter, so that just kind of makes me wonder if he's just going to be the long relief guy, you know, going forward. Yeah, and that may not be a bad role for him. Um, you know, if he can settle into that, then that's fine. You know, that's how guys like uh, Workman and and uh, even, you know, Marcus Walden have kind of broken in. So it's not a bad role for him if he can do it. Yeah. So, like I said, it'll definitely be uh, interesting to see how Renicky utilizes him. Uh, my stud for the series, pretty easy one. I'm going with the guy who I feel is the team captain, uh, Xander Bogarts. 
he was, uh, you know, seven for 11 on the series. It's his, you know, considering we got swept, it's statistically his best series uh, so far this year. Uh, hit two dingers tonight, had four RBIs overall throughout the series. And um, it, it, it was nice to see. And that ball was popping off the bat. A-Rod was, of course, quick to point out that one of the home runs is only a home run in, in two different ballparks. But if he's going to sit there and, you know, talk up Judge the way he does, I, I really want to use an X-rated, you know, uh, cliche for how he talks about Aaron Judge. But for Judge just golfing him out of that park, you know, on an at-bat by at-bat basis, I think Bogarts uh, certainly gets credit tonight for, you know, keeping the keeping the Red Sox competitive. And if we can if we can kind of sustain that type of production out of him, you know, and and then maybe Martinez gets into a rhythm. There should be guys on base in front of him, uh, you know, to to come around to the plate as well. So Bogarts, my hero. Yeah, Bogey, uh, Bogey did some good work, and uh, later on they were talking. Oh, you know, it'd be nice to see. And I, and I got I want to talk about A Rod too in a little bit, but uh, you know, Bogey almost hit his third off of Adam Odovino, who was the self-proclaimed reliever from the Rockies, who said that he could strike out Babe Ruth every time he faced him. Just pure stupidity uh, from him to say something so ridiculous. Um, but it was nice to see him get three extra base hits because that double, uh, you know, when he first left the bat, you weren't sure if that was going to go over or just in front of it. And he's got pop. He's got the power. So it's nice to, to finally see him do his thing because it's not usually until, you know, July, August, where statistically speaking, he actually does work because April, May, bogey struggles. So it's nice that he sped up the, uh, the rate of struggle, struggle bus into starting to do damage. So this is good. Yeah, I thought it was particularly encouraging, especially because before the game, he did, a, I guess, a Zoom call with a bunch of the beat writers, and I think it was Pete Abraham was tweeting out some of the excerpts saying that he just sounded very, you know, uh, not defeated, but he sounded just tired. It sounded like, you know, the whole COVID season and everything and the Red Sox struggles was really getting to him. And I remember reading that before the game thinking, oh, geez, if, if Bogarts is about to check out, then we're really screwed. So for him to come out after that and have a great performance tonight and show that he is invested and, you know, he is going to pick up right where he left off from last year, that's a great sign uh, when there aren't many great signs to go around for this team. And hopefully, you know, the the team, you know, responds to that and, and you know, tries to elevate themselves as well, you know, where, where he's still doing it. So, um, yeah. That definitely, like I said, the best series so far from uh, Bogarts. Getting over to the duds section, which there are a litany of candidates. Uh, Jason, <laughs> go ahead and and uh, tell us who pissed you off the most. Yeah, um, and it pains me to do this because I was excited about this guy when they signed him, but my dud is Jose Peraza. Um, garbage garbage oh god defensively i mean 
it, you know, when they first signed him, I thought, okay, this is a guy who played a little bit of second base and outfield with the Reds. So I'm not, you know, no one was expecting that he was going to be the jack of all trades that Brock Holt is, or you know, anything like that. But I thought, okay, at least he's a guy who looks like he can play multiple positions. Apparently, that's not true because anytime you put him anywhere other than second base, he's awful. Um, you know, they put him over at third base. He made two errors over there. Uh, he made an error tonight because he was positioned at shortstop. And I guess it's difficult to catch a pop-up when you're positioned at shortstop and not second base. Or at least that's <laughs> what A-Rod tried to tell us. I don't know. Um, he also just, he's a strikeout machine, too. I mean, you can tell it's with him, it's either he's going to get a base hit or he's going to strike out. He is not going to take walks. He is not a plate discipline guy. He just goes up there and he swings from his ass. He hacks away. And you know what? He might end up hitting like 275 this year, but he's going to make a boatload of errors. He's going to strike out a lot. And he better be a guy that when he's in there, he better be at the bottom of the lineup. I do not want to see Jose Peraza hitting first or hitting second or anywhere up towards the top. He's got to be hitting eighth or ninth because he's a he's a hack job up there at the plate and he's even worse defensively. So a guy that I had a lot of hopes for cuz you know it, this is sort of a a make good season for him after he lost his job at the Reds and so far he just I don't know he he doesn't look like he's an everyday player at all. Uh Charlie your thoughts on Peraza? I've I've actually been against Peraza like I don't I don't even want to see him in Boston. I, I'm I'm so over him. I was over him when they were talking about them signing uh, uh, signing him over Holt because uh, Holt was going to cost allegedly like four million, maybe more. Holt's getting three point two five million this year. Peraz is getting the same contract. He's getting I think three million. Was it really worth it for a quarter of a million dollars? Like it just it it, it saddens me to see it because we've played ten games. He's averaging almost an error every two games. That's really bad. That's not going to cut it. And he doesn't even play every game. He's played nine. So he's literally averaging one error every two games. It's, it's just completely unacceptable. And for, for, for a guy who, you know, people had high hopes for, he's just, he's not it. He's, he's just not it. And he's, He's never been known to be a player that can hit the ball for power. In his entire career, he's had one good year, one, and that was in 2018. Every year after that, garbage. He's been hot garbage. So I don't know what the what the Red Sox are buying into. I mean, buy low, kind of figure out what we're doing. I mean, the guy had hit under 250 last year, six homers, almost played a full season. He doesn't scare anybody. Like, you can throw pipe dream shots right down the like right down main street he's not gonna hit it you know jason said it he he strikes out a lot and and you know when you look at the numbers he doesn't get on base either he just he doesn't he doesn't do anything two extra base hits two doubles no homers no no, i'm set bring up suey lynn let him play he's a bad baseball player you know as, as far as i can tell he had a he was four for four in the season opener against the Orioles. He had a great night. If you take out that game and and pretend he doesn't start, he's a one seventy eight 
hitter. Uh, you know, since since then, basically. So he's he's terrible at the plate, leaves a lot of guys on base, uh, you know, and comes has has been up late in the game when we've desperately needed a hit, not gotten it. He hasn't walked one single time this season, does not have a walk. So I his OBP, you know, I, I guess would be probably the same as his, uh, as his batting average. But he's just he's terrible and the first inning tonight like you guys said could have been we could have been in the hole three to nothing right away you know had Bryce not been able to get out of the inning and it was fun to watch him get fired up by the way when he did get that out and you know put up a zero but um but yeah I mean and then you had a guy like Brock Holt who I think signed for the same exact amount of money they're both signed for three million for their respective teams and Holt could play every position adequately anywhere in the infield anywhere in the outfield and he was super clutch off the bench in games that he didn't start you know so many times throughout 2018 he got a key hit I I mean I'm assuming the reason Bloom opted not to sign him was because he simply didn't want to come back with Dave Dombrowski's baseball team next year and wanted to shake things up as as best as he can. And this Peraza experiment is failing miserably right now. I just I yeah. can't stand seeing this guy in the game. Yeah, like you said, Terry. I mean, I mean, when you when you look at the contracts, Peraza's making two point eight five mil. Rockhold's making 3. 2.25. 2.85, 3.25. You're talking about 400 grand, and you'd be bringing back a player that the team actually wants to see. Now, Brockhold hasn't done anything as a Met. He's had only a couple of at-bats. But you know what? I still think Brockholt would be having a better time in Boston than Jose Brazes. Like you mentioned, outside of his four-hit game, counting tonight, because ESPN hasn't accounted for that, he's 5 for 32. That's that's just over 150 with a single RBI, and he hasn't scored a run. This, this guy is garbage. He needs to go. This is not a Major League Baseball player. He's 26 years old. Like, he, we've seen one good year out of him. It's just, and I think you're right. I think that uh, Bloom did not want to bring back Dave Dombrowski's broken basket of toys and wanted to figure out his own basket of broken toys and this this is turning out even worse 2.85 million for for garbage absolutely and uh go ahead charlie who was uh who pissed you off the most well tonight it was actually alex rodriguez so a rod (laughs) actually might need to go back like he's he's my honorary dud for just making a really stupid comment. He said that Alex Rodriguez said that Gio Shell is the best defensive third baseman in the American League. And the, the uh, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Vasgersian who, who was next to him, but uh, it was, uh, he said, oh, well, what about that third baseman from Oakland? I was like, yeah, what about that third baseman from <laughs> Oakland? And he mentioned, yeah, Ch- you know, Urshela does, just does things I haven't seen other third basemen do. Okay, uh, Gio Urshela, 13 errors, 123 games. Chapman, nine errors in a full season, 156 games. Am I missing something here? Maybe my math is bad. He played an additional 33 games, committed four less errors. Am I missing something? Like, I think A-Rod just kind of stuffed his foot in his mouth and just got that one dead wrong. 
But I digress. Who is my dud? It would be none other than Zach Godley. Zach Godley got absolutely shelled in his appearance. Gave up five runs all earned on six hits and three and a third. Gave up two home runs, including another moonshot that literally, it couldn't have been more grooved. It was so bad. And Godley's another player that outside of 2018, same year that uh, Jose Peraza decided to show up and be a ball player, he's really been a no-show. 2019 was a reliever, had an ERA, uh, at least for his time in Oakland, over six. His his career, his, his ERA for the season was about six. His ERA in Boston right now is over six. Five runs, three and a third? I'm sorry, but like when we saw what he did against the, the Mets, I actually was like, no, I'm not buying it. Four innings, four and seven strikeouts. I'm sorry, it's Zach Godley, kids. Uh, chips all in. He fails against the Yankees. And I was damn right again. Like, I don't want to be right about these types of things. I really don't. But this guy also not going to get it done. Godley, 30 years old. Is he a starting pitcher? Absolutely not. Not when you groove pitches to players like Aaron Judge. I'm sorry. It's just not. No. No. Um, Jason, you can weigh in on A-Rod, too, if you'd like. So, quickly on A-Rod. The, the Urshela comment was really stupid. And he was... Boy, he was brutal all night. And I think what I realized is I used to like A-Rod on the ESPN broadcast because I used to think, you know, he's actually, he's not too bad. He he provides some insight every now and then. But I think it was more just a function of he balanced out the, the just asinine commentary of Jess Mendoza. And now that she's not there, it's just him and Vaskersian. Just, you know, and those two calling a Yankees game, like, oh, my God. I mean, you could tell ESPN was like, hey, guys, we got to get people invested in the Yankees because they might be going to the World Series. So just, you know, blow smoke up their behinds all night if you can. Um, he was brutal. When Judge hit that, that you know, go-ahead shot late in the game, he literally said it was Tiger Woods, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Aaron Judge. And I, I literally, I just, I almost fell out of my seat. I'm like, wait a minute. Those three guys who all have, like, multiple championships and are the best in their respective sports, we're now comparing Aaron Judge to these guys. Aaron Judge, because he hit a couple home runs tonight. Like, yeah. It, that was so... He was insufferable. Him and Vaskersian were insufferable all night. If that's what the ESPN broadcast is going to be, I might have to watch those games on mute because I might lose my mind. Um, in terms of Godley, he's a softball pitcher. It, his stuff is... It's, <laughs> I mean, his, oh god his stuff is bad i mean it just it looks like softball pitches up there and i was actually like slightly encouraged after his mets appearance because i thought okay maybe he's another guy that just you know got cut by the tigers like maybe he's looking to prove himself you know he he looked fired up in that game against the mets but i thought okay yankee stadium against the yankees i don't know and sure enough he, he just he looked awful um He's probably going to get more starts because, I mean, what you know, who else do they have? But he's not good. He he just has soft stuff, and against teams like that, he's he's really going to struggle. I'll give my two cents on a Rod before I weigh in on Godley. Um, I think you make some good points there. You know, the Yankees are the most marketable team, and and. 
Manfred probably wants them to be as hyped up as possible. I mean, I think that's why we even saw Vazgersian screaming into the microphone, you know, every time Judge, you know, went deep. And the thing about A-Rod to me is he's going to kiss as many asses on the air as he can because he wants to own the Mets. And, you you know, the people you have to you have to impress and and the asses that you have to kiss are from the executives and, and team owners and whatnot. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that from uh, Rodriguez. You saw him kind of hyping the salary cap a couple weeks ago, like heavily in support of it. Um, so, you know, that's something the owners would want, not so much the players, obviously. And I just feel like having him in the booth I don't think he really cares about the broadcast right now because he's focused entirely on his pursuit of owning the Mets. So I just think we're we're going to see all kinds of, you know, junk from him on the air, you know, in the coming weeks. And I, I don't know if we're, we have another Sunday night baseball game. We might have one more, but um, I'm, I'm, I'll be happy if we don't have another one, let's put it that way, so we don't have to listen to that. But but anyway, here, here are my thoughts on Godley. Now, he's the reason we lost that game, so he's absolutely a dud in this series. But I'm just kind of wondering, even though he he throws like a softball player, like you guys said, maybe he, he'll be a little more viable against the non-Yankee teams that we're going to be facing and, and hopefully give us a better chance to win because he, he had that one bad inning and, and that was it. You know, he, he, he pitched well in the first and I can't remember if that was the second or third inning that he got in trouble. But, um, but other than that, he was okay. And, you know, maybe we don't look at him as, as a five inning guy, but, I, I think there are going to be scenarios in the future where he could potentially give us a chance to win. Um, my dud for the series, I think we're going to lose every time, and that's Matt Hall. Uh, two innings pitched tonight, gave up five earned runs, walked two, struck out two. But we were absolutely buried because of him tonight, and I think... It, you know, in hindsight, if we could have had Maza tonight instead, you know, we probably win the game, you know, seven to three, seven to four, something like that. But Matt Hall is not a major league pitcher, and I don't want to see him ever again for more than one inning. If I ever have to see him again, I just, I don't think he belongs on a big club. And I think he'll probably be the first guy optioned or DFA'd, whatever, when either Josh Taylor or Darwin's and Hernandez, uh, you know, get called up, which could be uh, late this week. Yeah, hopefully that's that's true. He should be the first one out the door when one of or both those guys are ready because, yeah, he, he's awful. His, his, he can't locate any of his pitches and then, the one, you know, the few times he is able to locate the strike zone, it's a meatball right down the middle. He's not good. Absolutely, it's not. so sad. It's it's literally so sad. It's two straight games now that Hall's come in, and he just gets absolutely pummeled 
destroyed. Like, how are you pitching in Major League Baseball? And I get it. Like, the only reason why he's playing in Boston right now is because we don't have anybody. He's just he's just filling a spot. He's filling shoes. But, I mean, we've already seen what he can do. 2018, ERA, 14.63. 16 runs, 13 earned, 8 innings. Following season, 7.71 ERA. 20 runs in 20 and a third. He's just a body. He's gone. He's the first one out. Absolutely. I'm just trying to get his ERA for the season. It's currently 15.43. That's his ERA. And I, I think that's just going to get higher and higher. <laughs> He's, yeah, it's unreal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some, I, I want to talk about the end of game, too, with Ben Benintendi at the plate. But some, uh, some dishonorable mentions who also were not good this series. Um, well, we mentioned Peraza. He was one for seven. Chavis was one for six. He did get a homer, but I think the five other painful at-bats kind of offset that a little bit. Um, and then, let's see, Verdugo, 0 for 8, a little underwhelming. You know, the the centerpiece of a big trade that we've had, you kind of want to see a little bit more from him. And uh, and then J.D. Martinez, again, you know, not not stellar. You know, was um, one for seven in the series. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. n- you know, no dingers. He still hasn't hit one yet, and no runs driven in. So um, his trade value is dropping every at bat, and he didn't look good in the outfield. He kind of he kind of duffed uh, a you know a, a ball off the wall, and um, you know that led to a, another run scoring. So. Um, if that was just an average right fielder out there, the, the runner would have been held up at third. So um, I get why he was put out there. You know, Renicky wanted Vasquez in the lineup, and that was one of the ways to facilitate it, you know, to get a little bit more offense tonight. But, yeah, any anything from any of those three guys or that, you know? Well, I mean, here's the thing. You you look at J.D. Martinez. This is the guy who's supposed to be getting paid uh, to to be your leader uh, alongside uh, Xander Bogarts. And, I mean, you hit it right on the head, man. I mean, outside of opening day, he had three hits. Since then, he's had four. He has not knocked in a run. He's scored a couple runs. We know he's not going to steal bases. And, I mean, he strikes out once a game minimum. You You can't. This is like Jose Peraza, but, you know, plays in the outfield. It's just, and you're paying this guy millions and millions of dollars. Like, what is going on? It, 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 he's not the only one, though. You know, like, I, I'd be a fool to say that it's only on him, but it, it, he's not doing it. He's not getting anything done. And when your pitching staff is as bad as it is, you need to score runs. You need to do whatever you can to get on base. And he's not doing it. Yeah, Martinez is concerning. I'm starting to get really worried about Chavis, too. Um, he, he looks lost up there. I mean, it, he hit that home run the other night, which I think was good for him. But, yeah, he like the trend with him going back to last season, it's, it's not trending in the right direction for a guy his age. You know, 25 years old, he should be progressing you should see improvements you know by this point and at this point it's like it, it, i think we kind of just know what he is he's a low average hitter who 
if he runs into a fastball, he can hit it out of the park. But otherwise, he's he's just not he's not an all around developed player. And I do wonder, you know, I know the organization is high on uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, and I wonder if at some point Dahlbeck's going to take more playing time away from Chavis because Chavis just looks lost. You bring up a good point with Chavis. In uh, counting tonight, he's had 22 at-bats. He has had 11 strikeouts. He's striking out half the time. That is not going to get it done. When you hit 3 for 22, you're hitting 136. And no, we're not expecting you to hit leadoff. You can't steal bases. You can't hit anything outside a fastball. You are not a Major League Baseball. And I love Michael Chavis. I was there for his first dinger. It is something that will be immortalized forever. Guess what? If you don't get a fastball, you're good for two strikeouts a game. That's not cutting it. Yeah, and I mean, he he has trouble laying off balls high in the zone, and he was swinging out some stuff in the dirt tonight. His plate discipline is just atrocious. And, you know, if the Red Sox fall out of this and they're currently four games under 500 why not bring up Bobby Dahlbeck you know I mean he's it's not going to hurt and and he could probably use the reps so um I just I don't know uh one guy I didn't mention actually um Jackie Bradley was 0 for 9 in the series I think he's 0 for his last 17 so Correct. it's getting painful mm-hmm. here. And I'm just wondering, what is the best outfield alignment? If you're trying to win, and I, I think the team's still trying to win, I mean, you you got a lot of guys that are struggling. Verdugo, Bradley, and Benintendi all struggling. Kevin Pillar, who's our bench, supposed to be on the bench, has been by far our best productive outfielder. But, I mean, what's your best three? Because at this point... I think Verdugo just needs to be in the lineup every day. I think the best way to get him productive is to simply keep him in there, even against lefties, and and just see if he can build up some momentum because I think he's going to do that before Bradley does. And you know, and then you've got Ben Intendi who's let's see, he only played one game. Where is he here? Um, no, he played two games. My bad. No, sorry, one game. I uh, my handwriting's messy. Uh, o for <laughs> three. Uh, he did walk twice. <laughs> he doesn't have a problem doing that, but still hasn't found it at the plate. But w- I guess my question is, what is your best everyday outfield? Oh. Pilar's in I mean, there. I mean, you got to have him Pilar, in there. Pilar, you have to have in there. You got to have JD Martinez in there because you're already paying him all that money. Um. And then I'm torn between Jackie Bradley or Verdugo because Benintendi's not getting it done two for 24. I'm sorry. No, thank you. I mean, you could stick Jason or I in there and we're going to do about the same, maybe better. <laughs> I mean, I could bunt down the line and probably get on base more often than, than Tendy's doing right now. And uh, I'm like half his size, probably faster than him too. It's just, it's just, you have to have, you have to have, uh, and I think Jason will agree. You have to have. Um, oh my God, uh, Martinez in there unless he's going to be your DH. If you're not going to have him in there, you've got to have uh, Pilar, Dugo, 
And I mean, geez, you gotta God, go with Benny. I, mean, I think <laughs> it hurts. It hurts so much. He's yeah. He, I he I gets on base. Or go ahead, Jason. I still think that your your best scenario there, if, if Martinez stays at DH, which he should, because he should never be in the outfield. Um, ben Attendi, I, I would still go Ben Attendi in left, Verdugo in right, and Pilar and Bradley should be a straight-up platoon in center. Pilar against lefties, Bradley against righties. It's not that I like Bradley. It's just that he can't hit lefties. At least Pilar can. The only reason I keep Ben Attendi in there is because... I still think he can figure it out. He he's he's had good seasons in the past. He's still only twenty five. I think if you leave him in there and you just kind of let him work it, work himself out, then he probably he should. He's got the potential and he's you know he's got the makeup to be able to at least be a good everyday major leaguer. Um, Verdugo should absolutely be playing every day because. I think that he's shown in the past he can handle left-handers. He does not need to be platooned. I don't know who's telling Renicky to platoon him against lefties, but that he shouldn't be. Um, I think Verdugo can be a really good all-around ball player if you let him play every day. And then, yeah, just between Pilar and Bradley, just platoon those two because Pilar's hitting well right now, but at the end of the day, he's going he's gonna to level out the and he's not much better offensively than Bradley when it really comes down to it. So just platoon those guys and keep the other two in the corner spots. Uh, one guy that I didn't uh, mention, I should have mentioned him in the studs for honorable mention, Phillips Valdez was very impressive in the first game. Two and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, only gave up three hits, no walks, struck out three. Looks very good so far. And I'm just wondering, I mean, Weber's not really working out. Godley, you know, probably should just be a middle-inning guy plugged in somewhere. Um, You know, I think Valdez and Colton Brewer are two guys that could easily give you a couple of innings as an opener. And then Renicky, especially when we get back, you know, uh, Hernandez and Taylor, um, can just kind of patchwork the rest of it together. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in Renicky's ability to to manage a bullpen, uh, for the most part. Last night, I mean, we tonight we were kind of handcuffed. Once we used Maza, you know, we weren't going to have, you know, we, we were going to be three pitchers into our bullpen real early tonight, no matter what the scenario was, and. So I just I just think Valdez and and Brewer are are two ideal openers based on what what we've seen so far. Yeah, I like what I've seen from Valdez. I kind of like that he's got that sort of slingshot motion to his to his delivery. I think that's tough for right-handers. So um yeah, he's you know, he's kind of just one of these random guys I picked up off the street and He's 28, so he's not like a young prospect. Um, he's kind of a late bloomer, but yeah, he's got decent stuff, and he looked good in in uh, that game on Friday night. So sure, give him a shot. He looks comfortable on the mound. That that impressed me. I thought his demeanor was very good, and uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see more of him. Yeah, absolutely. 
could be interesting down the line. I, I think that one of the reasons why, um, I mean, he's only been around for a little while. I mean, this is year two for him. Uh, last year he did well for Texas. Um, he's still, yeah, you know, late bloomer. Still early to tell. I'm still not sure what's going to happen with him. But, uh, I mean, I don't think anybody does. I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, another little bright spot because there have been, unfortunately, so few. So props to him. If he could be an opener, like, sure. We're, we're five games out of first place. So what's the worst thing that could happen, you know? Absolutely. Um, I, I just kind of gave Renicky a little bit of praise for the bullpen. But what about the way game two ended runners on the corners, two outs, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit of momentum and he sends up Ben and to the plate who was over two coming into that at bat and leading off too, I believe, um, you know, started the game in the, in the one hole, but should he have maybe gone to Martinez at that point? Probably. I mean, Benintendi's not... I mean, at this point, anything Benintendi does to get on base is a surprise. Isn't that sad? You know, like, it's just... it's. I don't know. Maybe he knew something that we didn't. Maybe he had a good career against the, the guy. I have no idea. My only thought as to why he maybe didn't is because he knows that Benintendi's a young guy who's struggling, and if he had pinch hit for him there, maybe you shatter his confidence a little bit. And I think Renicky right now is trying to build up Benatendi, trying to get him, you know, get him back into where he should be. So he might have worried about, okay, if I pinch hit for him here, even though I should, like it might hurt his confidence even more. And this is a guy that I'm trying to get, trying to get his head right. So maybe that's why he didn't do it. Yeah, I just feel like in a big moment, I just feel like that's where JD tends to thrive a little more. Yeah, I was trying to get the um, the name of the pitcher. It was Hale. I, I, I don't even know his first name. Um, but he, he gave them two innings. He was solid in the eighth and then came out, um, you know, for the ninth and got the got the save. So, um, yeah, just, uh, just a little disappointing. And it, and it was just painful when, when Ben Attendee did strike out, you know, because it's like, ugh, you know. We David kinda, Hale. We kind of knew David. he was into it. David Hale, okay. Yep, yeah. that's the guy. Yeah, they got Chapman back, so I, I don't know uh, when they'll start working him back in. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, um, all right. So switching over to some COVID-19 drama, um, you know, we had a scare last week when the Marlins outbreak was starting to get out of control. And Jason, you were on the last show. You agreed with me. We thought, geez, it's, it's going to get canceled. They're, they're going to cancel it. But, you know, by the middle of that afternoon, they committed to keep playing. And, you know, and then I, things were starting to get better. I felt like, you know, Moustakis and Senzel both went back to the Reds after, you know, they had symptoms, but not no positive tests. And apparently they, you know, adhered to the protocol and were able to go back. And then a really surprising development, Nick Markakis, who had initially opted out of the season, decided to go back to the Braves and, and, you know, rejoin the team. 
And, you know, so I'm thinking, wow, geez, things are going the right way. And then the Cardinals start to have an outbreak. And they're up to 10 players. I guess three or four of those tests came back inconclusive, but I guess they're going to be basically handled as positive cases. About half of them are players, half of them are staffers, but nonetheless, they're all in the traveling party. So, um, you know, and then on Friday, Rob Manfred, it gets... It gets reported by Jeff Passan that apparently there was a conversation between Manfred and Tony Clark, the head of the Players Association, that if the players don't get their act together, Manfred could cancel it by Monday. And so I was extremely depressed Friday, you know, because we're, you know, we're at the end of our first week of baseball. It's it's nice to, you know, finally you know, get to see what we've been waiting for. And we were coming off of two wins in a row against a, a decent Mets team on paper. So I was feeling pretty good. And yeah, and then that happened. So, I mean, where are we at, do you guys think? Like, are we going to get through this? Or is Manfred going to pull the plug? Okay. I think at this point they're going to plow through and, and they're going to get through it. Um, and I think what you'll see is teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals who screw up um, because they don't follow protocol closely enough. They're just going to play less games. And, you know, they might complain about that. They might say, well, that hurts our chances. And Manfred will just say, well, too bad. You didn't follow protocol, so we're not going to, you know, completely change the schedule or warp the schedule just to get you guys – 60 games you you did this to yourselves so you guys are going to play less games and that's just the way it's going to be um but i i do think we're going to get through it because i think that if you didn't cancel after the marlins outbreak which was a pretty bad one then i think at this point you know that that initial scare should knock some sense into anyone else who's thinking of going to a casino or going to a strip club or whatever the hell these players were thinking of doing um and we should be okay Charlie. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm with Jason on it. I think, for lack of a better term, we're gonna plow through. And uh, you know, Manfred is is slowly becoming the least favorite commissioner in in sports. Um, you know, like th- that's gonna be like somebody's question. I'm sure, like on a dating app, like who is your least favorite commissioner in all of sports, and why is it Rob Manfred? Because this guy is just destroying the sport one day at a time. Oh, the players have got to be stronger. This, that, and the other. Uh, you're going to warn that you're going to shut the sport down. No, no, you're not going to do that. And then follow, follow that up with, well, you know, there's this thing called winning percentages. We have that too. Yeah, because teams teams aren't paying attention. They're not doing their due diligence. There are going to be teams out there that play probably 45 games because they've got literally more than 20 players infected with COVID. Um, and then you're going to have teams out there that don't have as many issues and they're going to be fine. Um, how does that, you know, how does that change things? We are experiencing something that Major League Baseball has never, ever gone through. 1918 had the, the flu, and it, it, I don't think it was as bad as this. And uh, people are being very cautious. You have players opting out left and right, and you have players not even telling their teams they're opting out. It's just insane. 
So per per Jason, I think yeah, it, we're we're gonna try to push through, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a snail pace. It's gonna be ugly. I don't think Manfred has any choice, you know, because of reasons that I, I was saying right before we went live. I mean, if he fails and shuts his season down, and then Goodell somehow, some way gets through an entire football season. And there should be vaccines before the playoffs start uh, for the NFL. So, um, so I, I I don't know what his chances are. I mean, it's a different sport. There's more physical contact between the players. But if he gets through a whole season, and then you've got hockey and basketball, if they get through their their playoff runs here, that's gonna be a terrible look for a baseball commissioner who's already had a terrible previous six or seven months. I don't, I don't know if that's survivable, you know, but who knows what it's going to take to, to get rid of a guy like him. Um, so that's one thing. I, another thing though, that, you know, is in the back of my mind, some municipalities apparently have been, you know, badgering. I don't know if it's him or the sport in general. Like, I, I don't think Philadelphia was thrilled with having Marlins players cooped up somewhere. And and probably the hotels probably weren't thrilled with having to, you know, have those players there for days or weeks longer. So it's tough. I mean, these are very unique circumstances. And, and I think if he was a better commissioner leading up to the virus here, he would probably be given a lot more leeway. But even though he's dealing with things that are unprecedented and never been handled before, he's just doing it in the worst way possible. Yeah. Between this and the way that he, you know, handles his quote unquote investigations, which always feel like they go on way longer than they should, whether it's a cheating scandal investigation or uh, investigating, you know, individual players for something like he just, you're, you're totally right that the way he's handled everything else leading up to this just makes him look even worse because the players and the fans already didn't have faith in Rob Manfred. And so now you deal with something like the coronavirus, which is highly unpredictable and very dangerous and you have an outbreak four games into the season and you know he's he's trying to scramble and he's saying nope we're gonna keep on playing but players are sitting there going well we don't feel safe um it's it's a bad look he he looks awful right now and hopefully this is the last we hear of an outbreak or or anything like that but he's got to do a much better job rating this in um and the players do too it's not just him that the players absolutely do need to do a better job. Um, I don't think that he's completely wrong for calling them out because at the end of the day, like, how did the Cardinals get infected? Because they went to a casino. I mean, come on, guys. Like, you, you have to be smarter here. You, you can't be going to casinos and clubs and going out to get wings. Like, it's just, you can't be doing it. And, you know, that, that falls on each individual team and each individual player to hold themselves accountable. So it's on them, but it's also... A lot of it is on Manfred, too. It's it's interesting to me that 
that conversation that he had with Tony Clark got leaked, and I'm, I mean, I can't, I'm just speculating here, but I mean, is it likely or, or highly possible that Tony Clark just kind of flipped Manfred the middle finger and then leaked it himself just to make him look bad? Nothing would surprise me now. Yeah. You know, know? I wouldn't put that. Clark. Yeah. yeah, he's like, you're going to threaten me? Okay, I'll just tell Passon what, what we just said, and we'll see which one of us looks bad. I mean, Clark's not going to come out of this looking bad. So I just feel like it, it shows – it just kind of shows that Manfred just has no control over anything right now, and nobody likes him. You know, maybe the owners do, but I think even the owners got to be looking at him like, geez, this guy's just getting hammered and – He's the guy that's supposed to be taking the bullets for us, but now we're all looking bad. And uh, yeah, and he's got to he's got to kind of officiate the negotiations for the the labor agreement. And everybody's expecting a strike. I just they really should consider replacing him. I'd love to get into how the three batter minimum rule isn't working and how a lot of these Red Sox games are going well over three hours, but you know, we can't really squeeze that all into the show. Uh, one final observation I'd like to point out uh, on this, uh, you know, coronavirus is that the taxi squads are basically null and void at this point. I don't think I don't think they're going to be used in the way that they had intended and and that they conveyed that they would be used because as we've seen with the Phillies so far um, and then the Cardinals, if there's one positive test, it's automatic postponement. They're not going to these taxi squads, you know, as, as players test positive. So, I just that that's one of the things again in the back of my mind saying, well, geez, if if you know somebody on our team, if Christian Vasquez gets a positive test, does that mean we're done for a week? Because I, I think it does. Yeah, yeah, I think at this point that's what you're seeing. Any any positive test means immediate postponement. Agreed. Yep. Yeah, they're just not gonna. They're just not gonna risk it. That's what it comes down to. They will not risk it. Uh, they've they've already been. There's already been so much bad publicity. They just they can't afford anymore. That's that's why this is happening. They just can't afford anymore. That's it. I'm just wondering if we are gonna plow through it. Like, what's realistic? Because I don't think any team's gonna get to to 60 games even if they don't get the virus because inevitably they're going to be scheduled to play someone who did and then not get those games in but but i mean we could be looking at teams only getting to like 40 games the the only thing that is a bit of a relief here is that the cardinals had just got done playing the twins and they're not postponed or tested positive so I mean, maybe it was just contained to them, but if they're, we don't really know what the incubation period is. They say it could be two to 14 days before a positive comes up. So maybe, you know, maybe we'll start seeing some of these twins guys, you know, you know, test positive. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's a mess. 
Yeah, big time. And we're going from one yep. extreme to the other, you know, every few days. So, all yep. right, um, Red Sox are off tomorrow. They uh, have a, a three-game set starting on Tuesday against Tampa. Nathan Avaldi versus Charlie Morton. So he's got a not a, another tough opponent here. He had DeGrom in his last outing, which we ended up winning. So I just feel like this time around, I, I think Tampa is one of those teams that's scrappy. They're going to... They're going to find ways to get the bat on the ball for cheap singles, and this is going to be a, a high pitch count game for Evaldi. But what are you guys expecting in the start? Uh, I think for Evaldi, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to do fine. Um, the issue then becomes the bullpen. Can the bullpen rally behind him and make it so that we can split? Because I don't think that we're going to win the second game of the series. I have no faith in Martin Perez, even though he did not completely crappy in his second start. I just, the way I look at it is we need to be able to win the games that Eovaldi pitches. And he didn't do that poorly in his second game. Uh, he did give up a lot of hits, but he kept them to two runs in five innings. That, right now is like our saving grace because we seem to be allowing two, three runs before the second inning is over. And he's able to do that after five innings or in his first game, one run through six, you know? So, um, we, we just need to be able to get some runs on the board early, uh, give him that confidence to be able to maybe get five, six innings. Um, he's thrown 89 pitches in each appearance. So maybe they let him, get into the mid nineties and hopefully you can get six, uh, six strong innings in. Um, that, that's what I'd say. You need to get some offense for him. Yeah. And we've done well against Morton in the past. Um, there have been a few times that he's, he's pitched well against us, but we've been able to get to him on some other occasions. Now, granted the offense as it is right now, I don't have a ton of faith that they're going to score a lot of runs on Charlie Morton. Um, unless JD wakes up and, Benintendi wakes up, um, but otherwise it's like it's going to be the way it's been so far all season. It's We're going to be relying on Devers and Bogarts to score runs and, and get out to an early lead, and uh, that's tough to do against Charlie Morton. So if we don't get that early lead and he shuts us down, then, yeah, I, I think that Rays lineup is going to bleed Evaldi for as many pitches as they can. You know, they're, they're going to be patient up there. They're a pesky team with a lot of smart disciplined hitters um so th that's going to be tough it's going to be a tough one for a baldy to win yeah morton had a his first start against us last year he gave up five runs he gave up four and another and then was uh two or less in, in his other starts we seemed to hit him every time we had to play tampa um so he did give up six runs against Toronto in uh, his first start this year. I'm assuming he was the opening day starter, but um, but he did get tagged pretty good there. Only gave up two runs um, in his second start. So um, we'll see. I mean, we have to hit. I think Avaldi has to show us what what he he has been, but. I mean, Tampa is basically playing this year like they always do. And, you know, they're dynamic. They find ways to win. And, yeah, so we'll just we'll just have to 
We'll just have to see. It should be a fun game one way or the other. Uh, game two, yep. Charlie, you've kind of weighed in on um, Perez. He's facing Ryan Yarbrough, um, who has a, a 1.5 ERA on the season and has pitched uh, five innings in both of his starts. So we're kind of catching him at, uh, you know, at, you know, while he's hot. So, um, I just think where we got a Valdi one game, Perez another game, this might be our best chance to win a series. Yeah, very well could be. My only issue with the Ryan Yarbrough matchup is because he's a lefty, we're going to see probably a stupid lineup where he's going to sit Verdugo and, you know, he's going to, he's going to sit Benintendi and it's going to be, you know, Peraza and Pilar and, Somehow Jackie Bradley will still find his way in there. Um, I just I don't love the way the Red Sox play against left-handers. So, um, but you know Yarbrough I think is a decent pitcher. He's not he doesn't have overwhelming stuff. So maybe Chavis gets hot against him. You know maybe uh, maybe JD wakes up against him. So we'll see. But yeah, I, I agree. I think with Evaldi and Perez going back to back, that is probably our best shot at winning two in a row. Is that is that just a two game set? Uh, yeah, it's just a two. That's what because I'm then saying. we have a we have a day after that off, and then it's going to be like nonstop baseball for a while after that. Three in Toronto, four four against Tampa Bay, um, and then it's the going back to Yankees for four more, and then it's you know at home for Philly two more. So it, it's like a ridiculous stand of games where our next off day uh, after the sixth. Our next day off after that is the 20, oh gosh, excuse me, it's not until September 7th. Okay. Oh no, August 24th, excuse me, excuse me, August 24th. Well, that's fine. I mean, if we can stay healthy and, you know, away from the virus, then yeah, that'll be a good stretch of games either way. Um yep. All right, so two games set. So I guess we got a good chance to to tie the series, uh, you know, tie a series and not uh, officially lose one. But would be nice to get a couple of wins. That would put us at what five and seven. We're currently three and seven. So um, I just hope this team has fight. You know, like we said earlier with Bogarts, he stepped up tonight. So hopefully these other guys step up. And uh, we get a little bit more production out of that outfield because, you know, like we said, Pilar's the only the only guy out there stepping up. And, you know, we're going to need some of those guys to turn it around. So uh, any yeah, final thoughts before we wrap? Um, the Red Sox are tied for the worst record in the American League. Are Honestly, I think they should have been 2-8. and eight. I think we stole a game from the Mets. Uh, we should be. We are. We are one of the worst teams in baseball. How, how do you how do you quantify that? The Baltimore Orioles are five and three. They were last year's laughing stock. They'd be in the playoffs are, tomorrow, like like the broadcast said. It, it, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, they have in Major League Baseball. They have the seventh. They're seventh right now in the standings in Major League Baseball with a minus three run differential. The three teams above them have plus nineteen, plus seventeen. Plus 30. The Rockies, who have a decent team. The Dodgers, 
LOL, they're great. And the Braves, you know? So it's it's like how do you like how do you see just how bad you're doing? The Angels have no rotation. The Angels are doing better than the Red Sox. They have the same record, but they're still doing more damage. They've allowed less runs than the Red Sox have. By one, they've scored three more runs with their team. And Trout's not doing anything. Rendon is, I think, injured, if I'm not mistaken. So just how bad is your team? Let that sink in for a second. Where are the Mariners right now if you have them up? Oh, yeah. Mariners are sitting pretty at, let's see, 28, 27, 28, 27, 28, 27, 24, 23rd. 23rd. Yeah, better than us. Uh, hmm. All right. Well, now, now we know where we stand. So hopefully uh, maybe they'll have a team meeting tomorrow and, uh, you know, come back with a chip on their shoulder on Tuesday night. So, all right, guys. Good show. Um, and we'll uh we'll be in touch you guys are the sunday show for uh the month of august so um who do we have so we have toronto after so we'll be reviewing that series which will be fun because i I like to see their young lineup oh i love it i'm I'm all for it yeah biggio and team looks looks like a lot of fun vladdy jr absolutely all right have a good night guys All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. All right. See you. Episode 203 in the books. Sorry it wasn't a little uh, more peppy. We did get swept. So it is what it is. And, you know, we kind of predicted a sweep. I I was probably the more optimistic one, which is kind of a weird role for me. Um, Coming into this series, I thought we might somehow, some way steal one. Would have happened tonight if Barnes could hold it. But again, I put that more on Matt Hall. Everybody, hopefully you're enjoying your summer. If you got some vacation time left, I'm envious of you because I'm going to be basically working the rest of the year. So have a good one, and we will be back with you on Wednesday night. Take care.